Outside the Shoot would like to thank one of their sponsors, the Lynx at Penn Hills. If you're a golfer, you're going to want to check out the Lynx at Penn Hills in Shubenacadie, Nova Scotia. With nine holes wide open situated along the beautiful Shubenacadie River and the other nine tucked into woodland, this Les Ferber design is a challenge for the best of golfers. Located just 15 minutes from the Halifax Stanfield International Airport, the Lynx at Penn Hills has become one of the best courses in Nova Scotia. For more information or to book a tee time, go to lynxatpennhills.com. Hello everyone, welcome to the very first episode of Outside the Shoot. I'm your host, Randy Frame. Now I'm sure some of you are sitting at home saying, who the hell is Randy Frame? Well, let me give you a little background on myself. I've been playing the game since I was five years old. Still going still going strong today. Well, at least I, I like to think I'm going strong. I've had the opportunity to play all over Canada and the U.S. Got to play in a, a ton of great tournaments, like the, the Canadian Nationals, ISC Worlds, AAUs. Met a lot of great people along the way. I figured by uh, you know doing this podcast, it was just a way to uh, to give back to the game and and promote it. It's it's such a great game. My first guest today is a former teammate of mine, good friend Justin Schofield. Goff is uh, currently on the Team Canada forty man roster. He lives in Grand Prairie, Nova Scotia, with his wife Montana and son Gordon. A little background on Scoff: he was a gold medalist with Murphy's Fish and Chip Eagles in two thousand eleven at the Canadian Junior Men's Nationals. He was also a two-time ISC world champion with Toronto Gators and Hill United Chiefs. Also a gold medalist with the East Hans Mastodons at the 2017 Senior Men's Nationals. So uh, we're going to talk to Scove today. We're going to find out where he got his start, go through, you know, growing up in West Hans and, uh, you know, playing with certain guys and playing with the juniors and moving on to to travel ball and playing down in California. So We'll, uh, we'll find out what Scope's all about. So everybody, just grab a drink, sit back, because here we go. What we do here is go back, 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 back. So, our first episode of Outside the Shoot. Thanks for being on. Thanks for having me. A lot of pressure. (laughs) There is. There is. You get a. I got my co-host here. He's uh, he's gonna pick up my slack like he usually does on the ball field. So uh. right. (laughs) (laughs) I'm coming in in the seventh because it's fourteen nothing. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. (laughs) So I give up dingers. Anyway, uh, Scope. I guess we'll start with uh, where'd you get your start? Um. Gaspro Minor Ball Association many <laughs> moons ago. Um, for whatever reason, when I was a kid, and I have no idea what their strategy behind this was, but uh, you played orthodox when you were a kid. And you didn't play whip pitch until you were 12 or 13. And so that's where I started, was playing orthodox, which for those people who have no idea what I'm talking about, it's basically modified, but you can't break your wrist at the top, and that's where we played. And then when I was 12 years old, uh, is when I started traveling to go play in West Hans, and that's when I first got introduced to fast pitch. Was at age twelve. So what level was that? That uh, would have been Pee Wee. That would have been yeah, because yeah, which is now under twelve or whatever you call it. But yeah, that back then I moved to play there in first year Pee Wee. So I had two years of Pee Wee to play. Yeah. Right on. So anybody who who playing in Pee Wee or Bantam, did you play with it? 
Uh, the team that we had in West Hance was Tyler Brownless was definitely the one of the top pitchers in the province, and then Tyler Warnot was one of the best hitters in the province, and then the rest of us were a whole bunch of guys that just were getting together to play ball or didn't really know what we were doing. But uh, there was some – back then there was uh, six or eight teams at that age group across the province, and it's funny because you look back now and out of those six or eight teams – most of them that had the best one or two guys on their team, those guys are the guys that are still playing and still know who they are. And every team had a had a real good player, and every team it seemed like had a good pitcher, and uh, it was a lot of fun. That was that was when I first basically fell in love with the sport. It was every weekend my dad was taking me from Antigonish to Guysbro to Lance to every now and again we get to play a home game in St. Croix and traveled all over the province playing and. That was pretty much it for my summers for four or five years until things started to go a little bit more with travel and that stuff. So with traveling, you've always traveled, right from the time you were little all the way to St. Croix to pretty, today. Pretty, pretty you, much. You pitched in Lance today. Not really sure why I live where I live, I guess, because uh, I uh, uh, right from the time that I was young, Dad was dragging me around everywhere, and I look back now and I realize how insane he was for all the miles <laughs> that he put on his on. Because, uh, you know, he did what everybody does, drives. He would drive to go to work and then drive to come home and throw us in a vehicle and drive to go to the ball field. And right from the time that we were probably 13, 14, 15 years old, his vehicle was the one that was going because he was the coach. Uh, a lot of the time or helped yeah. coaching there was lots of other volunteers along the way too but there would be four kids jammed in the car with him with our ball gear and it would be wednesday or thursday night he'd get home from work at five o'clock we'd have a game in lance at six thirty, and it's an hour's drive yeah, so it right. was literally in the door out the door you better be ready and don't forget anything because we're going and <laughs> that was that was just routine so now when people question me on how about the travel and stuff that we still do, that's just kind of been normal. That's yeah. what we've yeah. always done. Second hand to you. For yeah. sure. So when did you uh, when did you move on to the Berwick Easons? <laughs> that's when I start. That's when I came yeah, across. Yeah, that you. was fun. That was uh, 2006. I would have been 16, and there was still uh, I think Chris could probably was it called the Metro League back then? Uh, Metro Metro Major League. Metro Major like League. Yeah. And I, I honestly had never really seen much men's fast pitch the only time that i ever got to see any higher level ball was the uh, halifax windsor quiche used to have a double hitter on the same night yeah. that we practiced uh and that was when it was like really early on like very early 2000s uh but then they were done and so like i went several years without even seeing a men's game mm. and i got a call uh and asked if i'd be interested in going to play for the berwick easons i yeah i'm sure i'm percent I had no idea what that meant, but whatever, I'll I'll try it. So, uh, yeah, I remember they picked me up on the side of Highway 101. Uh, I was just standing there with my ball bag because that's where my dad dropped me off. Apparently he was very trusting of whoever was coming to pick me up. And uh, we went to Halifax for the Canada Games Diamond to play our first doubleheader against the Halifax Outlaws. And I can remember going into the seventh inning, had a 6 nothing lead, and I was like, man, this is this is awesome. Like, playing against a men's team, got a shutout going. And then with two outs in the seventh, I got pulled down 7-6, and that was my introduction to the men's game. Was right. That was my first kind of, like, huh, there's nothing to this, and then a very uh, in-your-face moment when the wheels fell off. Funny story about uh, 
see, that's when we had the Stuyak River Rats right. when we were playing against Berwick. And I still remember this playing as day. We were playing in Berwick, and uh, we, I think it was the second game of the doubleheader. And, and we started going up, and then they put you in to pitch. And I was, that's when I ran the team. So anyway, you get in there, and I was like, who is this kid? And he's throwing it. He, throwing hard, but he really didn't know where it was going at the time. <laughs> well, I was still quite guilty of that. <laughs> so anyway, I remember a couple guys, you, you hit a couple guys, and I was like, I'm not hitting. I pulled myself out of the game. I was like, oh, somebody can DH for me. I'll just keep pitching. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. So, but uh, you had a few good guys. Dave McDowell was on that team. Dave was, he was awesome. Oh. I really enjoyed playing with him. I had no, like, like I said, I had literally no idea who anybody was that I was going in to play against or play with, I should say. Yeah. And uh, my dad is quite a few years older than Dave, but like my dad was at the, end of his career when Dave was just at the beginning of his so he, he knew who Dave was and I think there was uh, one or two other guys that that my dad knew who they were but other than that like I literally was going in blind I didn't have a clue and and Dave was uh, he was an incredible leader like when he batted lead off he set the tone for a game I don't know how many times he batted lead off and hit a line drive home run right up the middle that was still going up. Few and I mean, he few was, times off me. Yeah, but he was he was well into his forties, I, I believe. Know. Like he was not a young man, but he was in phenomenal shape. He was a great leader and a great person. I really, really learned a lot from him. But then also like uh, Mark Colwell was the catcher, and I mean Mark's not all that much older than me. But when you're sixteen and you're thrown to a guy in his mid twenties, that's that's yeah. a big age difference. Yeah. Then at that point, and Mark was uh, really good. Uh, to throw to and to bring me along because I was was 16 years old playing against men that have been doing this for a long time. I was way out of my league uh, talent-wise, and those guys, uh, they really helped me come along. And I think, like you said, throwing hard and quite wild was to my advantage at that point because if I would have thrown all strikes, I think they would have got a little more comfortable and probably adjusted quite a lot easier. But I, uh, there was several guys to coach. Uh, was Bobby? Uh, oh right. Oh, that's terrible. What's Bobby's last name? You remember who I'm talking about? I do know who you're talking yeah, about. Yeah, he was name. really comical. I enjoyed playing for him. He used to come out to the mountain and have some great one-liners. Uh, <laughs> Burby on the team? No, he wasn't on the team then. He was probably gone a year or two before I was there. Um, but I remember that, like, uh, when we went to Easterns with that team, we were going with uh, Dave Chasson which was not really a, a well-known top-end intermediate pitcher, and myself for pitchers. And we were going into a Easterns that had some pretty good teams there. And uh, we ended up when we ended up winning it, Dave was Dave pitched lights out. He ended up getting MVP of the tournament. I think Dave McDowell ended up having two or three home runs. Mark Cole had a couple. Uh, it just kind of all went together. And I was 16, and we just won intermediate Easterns, and we were away at a hotel. So that was kind of my introduction to uh, we won something and have a party. So that was that was fun and and uh, that was it was definitely one opposite to the other in those summers because I'd be going away, playing with the Eastons and and staying away. We had a couple trips in hotels and then I'd be coming back and playing with a bunch of young teenagers that were all quite green to the world, and uh, so it was it was fun. I, I got to see both ends of the spectrum. It was fun. I, I learned a lot from those guys, and I appreciate yeah. them giving me the – they were the guys who gave me the start, and I, I honestly, to this day, I have no idea where they even found me because 
Berwick and West Hans, it's not like the two organizations right. interact a whole lot because the Berwick guys, like Greg Wheeler was another name of a, of a guy that hit some big home runs. Uh, like those guys kind of had their inner circle and yeah. that was when those guys were done, they were, the team wasn't going to continue right. on. Like the, they were, they were their, their group of guys and somewhere somebody must have had a conversation about me and they gave me a call and and i don't regret playing for them at all i had a lot of fun playing for those guys and it was kind of neat because that's the only ball i ever got to play in my lifetime in my end of the province because yeah, that's right berwick is only 15 minutes from home but it's the opposite direction of every other ball game that we play yeah. in nova scotia now so uh when the easton's played their last game as, as sad as it is to say like the when they played their last game that's probably the last game of fast pitch that got played in king's county yeah uh, because I don't know of anybody else that's played there since. So they had a great uh, field there too. Sure really is. nice field. Yeah. Still do. Still yeah. do have a really nice field. I love the big. They had the big green monster and right. with the big net in the playground. I've seen some long home runs hit into that. Uh, Mark Arsenal hit a bomb off me there. Yeah, it's still going. <laughs> yeah, it's still going. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Joel Eisner hit one. Uh, when he was coaching, I think he was just pissed off at his team. He said he was coaching the junior team, and he was. I don't know what Joel would have been. He must have been mid twenties or just yeah. out of junior or something. But anyway, he got pissed off and decided he was going to be Reg Dunlop player coach for the weekend, and he <laughs> hit one into the playground in uh, in Berwick. That the fence was probably close to three hundred. Yeah, exactly. Around, and he hit it way into the playground, like it was a big home run. Yeah. I remember. I remember that one. There was a couple other guys that hit him out of there that were some big shots. There were some big home runs hit of left field. So was that was that your stepping stone to Murphy's? Juniors? Uh, I, I don't know if that was my stepping stone as much as the like the that under nineteen provincial team was still very that was a really busy summer. Um, I think playing with Berwick definitely helped. There's no question about that because it kind of gave me a wake up call that there's more out there than just the half dozen midget teams that I've been playing against right. or under nineteen teams or whatever. Um, but uh, like the team, the under nineteen team that would have been Jeff Frazier. Paul Long and uh, Wayne Avery ran for a three-year program. It was it was the goal was 2009, and they literally started that team the summer of 07. And then we had the summer of 08, and then in 09 is when we went away. Like that was a long process of when they picked that team. Like they had probably a year, year and a half where they carried like 25 or 30 guys, and then they cut it down to very close to the team. And we were together as a team for a long time, which was kind of unique in the fact that you felt like you played together forever by the time right. you actually got to uh, got to the Nationals. And I don't, I don't even remember the name of that tournament that they called it the year that they replaced the Canada Games. But I remember they had yeah. one in PEI that was one with New Zealand in the States. And then they then we went to Nationals that were in um, Prince Albert. That was and oh. that that was where we, we played our two two major tournaments. But I think that would be more the stepping stone because that was still like Berwick didn't practice or anything like that. But like with Jeff and and uh, the the coaching staff there, they were still teaching. They were still taking us to the field. If we didn't have two, we had probably had two double hitters a week, and then we'd still go to the field and practice at least once a week. And sometimes if you didn't play those extra double hitters, they had you practicing every night. So yeah. we were still at a point where they were still teaching the game a lot. And I think that was the big stepping stone towards the junior program because then Jeff became a part of the coaching staff with the junior program. And he kind of brought uh, some of the midget aged guys along with them. That was a, a big transition year going into when we hosted the junior Nats because we'd had a very good 
under 19 team and the junior team had been a, a good team very good team for a couple of years i think they had back they had a silver medal in 2010 and i forget what they did in 09 but they had some guys that were graduating on from age so it was perfect time for a mixture of some of the new under 19 guys and the junior guys to come together and that's the year that we we hosted the nationals in, in st croix was that would be 2010 10 yeah yeah yeah, you got so you guys Silver, lost in the yeah. final. Yeah, yeah, lost in the final. To the big, noofs. big, big crowd. No, I'm sorry. No, it's Napa, 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 right, yeah. There was big crowds for that tournament. There was, yeah, huge crowd. I, I remember. remember I remember the finals. They took the fence down for the second diamond and just used it as parking lot. Yeah, like it was packed. I don't know how many people were there. There was some people that said there was four or five thousand or whatever, but there was uh, there was a lot of people that were at those games, and it was disappointing that we weren't able to uh, yeah to finish it off. But it was. But I mean that. It was that, a roller coaster of a week. We didn't have a game going into the finals. Uh, I don't. Some people might be able to correct me on this, but I don't think we had a game that wasn't decided by the mercy rule, and that counts wins and losses. So we either pounded beat, somebody, yeah, pounded the crap out of somebody, or got the crap pounded out of us. Yeah. And it was literally one extreme to the other. And I forget what we had, but it was a half dozen all Canadians uh, that we had. We had a really strong team, and I it just didn't work in the finals. It just they got out to a really great start and momentum was on their side and it seemed like everything that happened happened against us and yeah. it was just one of those one of those games that wasn't meant to be but it was uh that was a great week i know that because i obviously been to midget nationals and that stuff before and and then junior is another step up again for sure like yeah. it's not just not just like moving from bantam to midget i find that the step from midget to junior is is huge in the development of young men and women in, in the sport and that's why i really was pissed off when they changed the age to under 21 because those last two years of junior are huge in in development and i really i think that the keeping the age junior at under 23 makes for better more competitive junior nationals because you get a lot more 22 and 23 year olds playing and then the other thing is there's not a lot of guys that are 22 years old that are ready to step into senior and play exactly. and if they can't yeah. step into senior and be a, uh, a starter or a competitive player that's when we lose guys mm -hmm. and we're we're in a position with this game where we can't afford to lose guys and, and realistically uh, it's supposed to be a stepping stone into senior it's development age and for senior yeah. some provinces they have intermediate leagues intermediate teams that play regular all summer long yeah. where in here unfortunately we go from junior to a senior team because we don't have a lot of intermediate programs no. well now we do with our our shooters league of course but yeah it's just somewhere for the kids that you know up till 23 you can play to your 23 and then have the opportunity to step into senior right yeah where we don't have those intermediate leagues like other provinces i too. think that's the biggest difference between the times of now and and like years ago when uh, even 20 years ago or, or even further back what when, when there used to be intermediate a intermediate b intermediate yeah. c and so on the if you didn't make the junior team or, or whatever, yeah. then you still had 10 teams somewhere that you could play. pick yeah, and go always play. somewhere to play. Right now, if you are done junior and you're not good enough to play for a senior team in some provinces, not all, but like I know that in Ontario there's all kinds of small leagues that you yeah. can play at different levels and, and uh, different provinces do have uh, some senior B, some they call it, some are intermediate, whatever. But in some provinces, if you don't make the senior team, you – don't have anywhere to play and that's why i am really glad that the age of junior is under 23 because when they changed it i think it hurt the game negatively for a couple of years and and it also i mean if you're 22 and 23 and can stay back and play junior 
and be one of the best players in junior and go to our Canadians and be competitive and help your team win and or get to the finals or, or do whatever, that's far better for your development than going to sit on the bench for a senior team. And, right. mm-hmm. and if you do get in, you're in there as a mop-up role or your mercy innings or, or whatever, like that's no good where maybe you get one or two more years of junior and you put on a little weight, you get a little stronger, you hit the gym, whatever, and all of a sudden you're snapping the ball, you're ready to step into senior and you can play. Right. Um, maybe not, but I, I think that uh, no, I think you're right. I think that that's one of those things that was a mistake <clears throat> back when Softball Canada made that decision, and I'm glad that they reversed it because I, I stepping into junior, I was not I was not ready uh, coming out of under 19, uh, going into junior. I only got two years of junior because they uh, they changed the age after. 2011 which was when I was 21 so I technically had two years of junior left if they didn't change the age and uh, I was fortunate enough to be able to step into men's Mm -hmm. and play but there was a half dozen guys on our team in junior that I don't know if they I don't know if they ever played a game of ball again after junior nationals and uh, that's sad but if they would have had two more years to play it's like Jesus when Jamie Wentworth and Jeff uh, Frazier and Robin Eisner ran that junior program we had we played – I know we had to play 65 or 70 games before Junior Nationals. And uh, so if those half dozen guys that never got to play again would have got another year or two of playing those yeah. games, they may have been able to find a place to play. But and well, I, know, I know you played – when we played for Brookfield yeah, that year, I think, we played you guys, <laughs> I think we played you guys like 30 was, times. Yeah, it was yeah. crazy. And, I mean, that was when, when we we played back then – you could go to uh, a doubleheader in Brookfield, and you might face uh, Brian Urquhart. Yeah. You might face Tim McCumber. You might face yourself. You might face Lee Nelson. You might face Robert Graham. Like, every single night that we went to the ball field, we were facing pitching. Yep. And I remember stepping in the box against Urquhart when I was 19, and uh, one of the boys went out back behind the backstop, which probably shouldn't have done this because this probably made Erky throw harder but one of the guys went out behind the backstop and clocked him at 84 for about a half dozen pitches and then came back to the dugout and told all of us that he's throwing 84 and I remember going in the batter's box I was thinking man like he is <laughs> he is throwing way too hard for me to this be in here hurt. yeah like if he misses I, I'm just done like I'm just gonna <laughs> yeah. lay down and, and I remember the first pitch he threw me was an inside dipper it had a little bit of movement coming towards like inside to a righty and I was just like when I went back to the dugout, I was like, man, I'm so thankful I didn't swing at that first pitch. And one of the guys was like, what do you mean you're thankful you didn't swing? I was like, if I would have fouled it off, it would have broke my thumb. <laughs> like, he, he, like, we got to face guys like that. I mean, Mc- Timmy McCumber didn't th- uh, throw a lot for Brookfield, but yeah. I do remember facing him some. And he was, everybody knows who Timmy yeah. is, but he was known for his bat. But for a guy who could come in and throw, like, he was a, he was a good pitcher. He didn't get enough credit as a pitcher. And, I mean, we were 19. Yeah. So he was a hell of a lot better than any pitcher we were going to go away That's and right. face. Yeah. And then uh, you, were, you, Dick, were several years younger than you are now. And Robert, <laughs> Robert yeah. Graham was, was a good a good high – probably yeah. a high-end intermediate guy. He threw hard. Deal. Yeah, hard, and he yeah. threw hard. And, and, like, these guys were all guys that really helped us. Yeah. And even – Facing Lee Nelson, like there was no other lefties in the province to, right. to face, so at least you got to face a lefty. Uh, Lee wasn't a, a flamethrower, but I mean, at least he was. Uh, he was a guy who threw the ball with the left hand. And then when you went away to nationals and you seen a left hander with a curveball for the first time, you yeah. weren't. So every time that we went and played the Elks or or whoever we went and played, it was beneficial to us. And then, yeah, like the Elks still got their at bats and still got to do their stuff. But I mean, I think it benefited us big time and yeah. be able to play 
the, the, at that time. Pretty sure, what was it, Chris? Uh, 2010? Was that the year that you guys went? Uh, Charlottetown. No, 2010 was Charlottetown. 2009. 2009. 2009 was, Thomas. was when the Elks went undefeated in the round robin? Or yeah, seven, no, we not undefeated, but we finished top four. We right. Went, so we went we, five and two in the round robin. We beat, five uh, and two. So, we I mean, beat some big teams. Yeah. yeah, you guys beat some big teams. So we were a good squad. Yeah, you guys mm-hmm. were a good senior team, and we were an under-19 team. So Wait, for us, we, we beat Kitchener, didn't we? Yeah, who pitched that game anyway? I can't remember. I, I think know. there was a lot of fly balls in center field, though, if I remember correctly. Mike, <laughs> 16. Mike Grant put on approximately 10 miles during that game. And he had his mother's pants on, apparently. <laughs> poor, poor MG. Randy Frame beat Kitchener River Shark Twins in 2009, in case anybody doesn't follow Randy on Twitter. <laughs> Randy, who hit the game-running home run that game? I wasn't uh, quite sure. That, that was you. Oh, yeah. yeah seventh inning. Top of seven. Broke a three-three tie. So anyway, back okay, to back the, to Scoff. Yeah, back to the uh, <laughs> silver medal in St. Croix. Do you guys think that losing that stepping stone to the following year? Sort of. Uh, I'm pretty sure our coaching staff wanted to pack it in. Um, J- uh, Jamie Wentworth and I, I had to go and meet him at the Enfield Legion in the parking lot so we could smoke cigarettes in the car because we couldn't go in the Legion because he can't smoke in there. Um, <laughs> and basically, I had to plead my case with him to why we still should have a team because Jamie had no interest in going and, and just going to compete. Like he yeah. wanted, he wanted to win. And if he didn't think we had a chance to win, he wasn't interested. Like Jamie was still wheeling and dealing for import pitcher right up to the day before the nationals. And, uh, and I, like Jamie had been so close to coaching a team to a win so many times that he looked at our team and we had one, Two guys from the starting nine that were returning. That would be Trent McDonald and Tyler Wynott. The only other guys on that uh, the team that would be back were bench guys. And when they got to Nationals in 2010, they pretty much went with what they sec- said was the starting 10 guys, and that was it. The, we, the rest of us didn't play. Like That 2010 Junior Nationals was in my backyard. I, I started zero games, not one. Uh, and some guys would have took that negatively or quit or whatever and to me uh, I looked at it as our pitchers that were there were Tyson Barkman and and Corey Avery and Donnelly Archibald and they're all gone so I went from being the number four guy to being the ace without even doing anything so to me that just made it so that I was motivated to go and I had to beg and plead with Jamie to get him to have a team I called guys that hadn't played ball for three years like Brian Gillis had been away playing high-end hockey uh, Brian Gillis, I don't know if he touched a ball glove in three years. Yeah. Uh, got him out of retirement. Uh, he was our number two pitcher for most of the year and, and probably even still at Nationals. Uh, and we had other guys that played with us, like our MP, Cody Blois, yeah. uh, um, Josh Hilton, uh, Ryan Gillis. Uh, we had guys that either were playing intermediate or not playing the year before, and we just basically threw together – the best 14 or 15 guys that we could come up with to go to nationals and Jeff and Robin and Jamie, they put us to work through the summer and we played a lot of ball. We went to, that was when the Maritime league was still in existence. So we traveled every single weekend to somewheres in the Maritimes to play. And if there wasn't a league tournament going on, then we were making our own tournament or we went to Cape Breton for a tournament. Randy went with us and played with the junior team for a weekend uh, we did whatever it took to play as many games as possible uh, to go to that Nationals and go in there ready. And uh, 
we had a pretty good start of the first day. We only played one game. We beat the defending champs from the year before, uh, right after opening ceremonies. It was all pumped up. Everything was great. And then the next day, we got outscored 22-1 to in two games. We got shit kicked, like absolutely destroyed. Uh, and I can still remember the meeting with Jamie. When Jamie was fired up, and he basically told us, if that's how we were going to play for the rest of the week, let's go home. Because we embarrassed ourselves, we embarrassed the province, uh, we're representing softball Nova Scotia, and from that point on, we per- we turned it around. It was it was a pretty crazy week. I know we had some guys that played their last games of ball that week. Like I said before, yeah. like they literally never played ball again, and they were guys that contributed to helping win that. And I think it'd been since '82 since Nova Scotia had won a Junior Canadian Nationals, and. Uh, They'd been close a lot of times. A lot of times they'd been close, and I'm pretty sure it was 82 to 2011 without winning one. And uh, that was uh, a that long stretch. Yeah, that was a long stretch. And to me, honestly, that was the point in my career when I realized that there's a possibility for more here. Because, and like I said before about junior being your big development stage, but when you went to that junior nationals and and everybody else in the country is there with their best. And you got a bunch of guys that you just threw together to do your best to try to go and win this thing. And you go and you win it. That was to me when it was kind of like, okay, mm. we can do something with this. There, There is a possibility here to be more than just a bunch of guys that we throw together and, right. and, and do it. And and that was huge. They, they canceled Sunday of the tournament. They made us play the entire two days of playoffs on Saturday. We basically didn't use any other pitching for from – Thursday or Friday on, uh, like everything that could go against us went against us, and somehow we ended up pulling it out. And uh, Brian Gillis is a guy that I said that didn't play ball for three years. Uh, first inning, he hits a three-run bomb to put us up 3 nothing in the championship game off of Jordan Graham, who was at that point, I think he just got put on the 40-man. He was mm. possibly the next up-and-comer pitcher in Canada. He was he was a stud. Like, he was really good. He was dominant in junior. He was a cleanup hitter, too, wasn't he? And, ba- and yeah. bad at cleanup. Yeah. He was a big man and strong, and, and he did it all. He was a really good ball player. And uh, Brian stepped up and dinged one to left field right over the – barely cleared the fence. I think it was still going up when it went over. And I can still remember Brian coming around third base, and I don't know if he even touched third base because when he come around third base, he had both arms going pumping <laughs> and he had the legs going. And, and like, that was – I can that's the moment with that team that put us over the hump, and it was a guy that literally hadn't played. So yeah. uh, when, we, when we won that, that for me was when – because Nova Scotia had taken some lumps. Yeah. over the years at juniors taking some lumps over the years at seniors yes they had some years they got close but i mean we not went many to, we had some years that we were kind of the bottom feeders yeah. at some of those tournaments and that was kind of to me like all right we can we can turn this around it's not going to be easy it's not going to happen overnight but if we put the right people in charge here we can we can turn this around and make something happen so that was that was the starting point for me is when when we had that year that we went to juniors with a whole bunch of guys that really had no business winning a national championship and went and, and won one. So, okay, after after the uh, after the big national win juniors there, is that when you uh, started going down California? Um, yeah, I actually – let me think now. No, I had, I had gone before that. Oh, was it before that? Yeah, I had gone to California before that. And then, uh, and then I remember Corey Avery was – playing out of california 
Yeah. And uh, basically, after Junior Nationals in 2010, Corey moved into a place that I was staying at in Halifax and was going back and forth to California. And I think Corey pretty much got tired of it and wanted a break. And when they were calling him to send, to bring him down, they said, no, I'm not. he basically said, no, I'm not coming. This guy is. <laughs> okay. And so that was, he was playing with Pyle, Jerry Pyle, wasn't mm-hmm. he? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. He, uh, he was playing with Pyle. He was playing with a few different teams, but when I went down, uh, I was 20. I wasn't even old enough to buy a beer. Uh, I, I remember playing in a couple leagues. I think it was the Burbank league and the Simi Valley league. And, uh, I started out staying with Gerald Pyle, ended up staying with Bobby Berger. I made, uh, like, one trip down was six or eight weeks, and then I would come home for Christmas, and then I went back down for six weeks after Christmas. And then our season started. I did the 2011 summer, which was junior nationals and then senior nationals, and then the winter after I did basically the same thing. Mm-hmm. And then real life had to start at some point, and that was, that was my two years that I got to uh, go to California, and that was a lot of fun. There was... The level of ball probably wasn't uh, the most beneficial because there was some lower level stuff, but I was still playing ball. Yeah. I was still playing ball and having fun and and uh, seeing parts of the world that I would never see otherwise and some learning experiences, some mm-hmm. good, some bad. And, uh, no, that was how I got my first trip away was, was through Corey. Yeah, the traveling. The That was the fun part I found. The, I mean, it was it was tough having to – be in Halifax at Friday Friday morning at five o'clock in the morning. Fly out to because everything that Utah did was on the West Coast. Right. So like the best of the West, the Dimmerini Cup in Portland, Oregon, and so fly out there. You get you get there on Friday night Pacific time at around supper time, and you start Saturday. Yeah, start Saturday morning. You're playing right up till about eight o'clock on Saturday night, and then then playing Sunday. And then you gotta you gotta make sure you're at the airport by supper time. The book then, at home. then you take the red eye all the way home. You're back here Monday morning. So I'm supposed to go to work. Yeah. Yeah, and I, and I know, like some of the boys at home give me shit for Jay Duffy and and Aaron Harvey and those guys that I played with in league last last year in particular, because I was traveling every weekend Midwest, mm-hmm. and I had to be at the airport back to back weekends at 3 a.m. And yeah. I live an hour and 10 minutes from the airport. So I'd be at a league night on Thursday night and play the first game and then leave. And, of course, I'd be getting a little bit of a chirp or yeah. a little peanut gallery yeah. about leaving or whatever. I'd go home, get home after the first game, pack my stuff, wash whatever I wore that night that I still needed to take with me, and basically get a couple-hour nap, head to the airport, and then travel all day. And last summer, was it was taxing because there was times when you left your house at 2 in the morning. Mm-hmm. You got there for four or five o'clock in the afternoon and had a seven o'clock game and then had two games or three games Saturday and two games on Sunday and then fly home on red eye on Sunday night or sometimes couldn't fly until Monday morning. So yeah, I, the, the West coast stuff, as far as if you're not going and staying is, uh, is tough coming from the East. Yeah. yeah side story on that. Uh, my very first tournament with Utah there was the uh, best of the West in Santa Barbara. And, uh, so I get there. So we didn't play that first night, obviously, but, uh, we were at the hotel and they were uh, saying, do you remember the rude pack? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I uh, I played a tournament with them. Did Ru- you? The sponsor Rudy uh, was uh, was blind, and I went to a Dodgers game with him. 
Oh, nice. And he was one of the nicest guys that I ever met, and I can still remember thinking, like, when I first went, like, How'd you well, catch that foul ball? Well, <laughs> why why would this guy have interest in baseball and softball? Because you right. can't see. Because, of course, I was young and, and didn't understand, and yeah. I couldn't get it. And I remember going to the Dodger game with the guy, and uh, the ball would hit the bat, and he'd go, base hit? So, yeah. Or, oh, that sounds good. Double in the gap. Yeah. Like Jesus, he, wow. like he was he was really sharp, and yeah. it was it was it was interesting to see him. But sorry, I cut you off. But That's yeah, right. I know I know the Root Pack really well. That's a small program in California that ran for a lot of years. Yeah, so we were we were at the hotel, and the guys I was getting to know them, and they're like, they said apparently the Root Pack's going to have Jose Canseco playing with them for the tournament. I was like, what? <laughs> like. <laughs> You're kidding me. So I was like, that's crazy. And in my head, I'm like, if I have to face Jose Canseco, I'm throwing all rise balls because the yeah. videos I've watched, they can't hit rise balls. Yeah, neither can your rise ball rise. Yeah, exactly. So, <laughs> <laughs> so anyway. Randy, wait a minute. What yeah. other pitches do you throw? <laughs> Good point. The fast pitch. So, the fast pitch, yeah. So anyway, we got to the, we got to the field the next day and uh, – he he no showed so that kind of that kind of sucked a little bit but oh, well the eh. story was good yeah anyway. kind of but didn't <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's true I would like to face him but, yeah uh, so anyway back story. to uh, so yeah back to, after California yeah. after California is when I came home and like I said they they changed the age uh, so there was no junior program and the Maritime League I think 2012 was its last year um, is that true am I right there no I don't think that is true because I came back and coached. We saw we we started the Maritime League again, didn't we? Yeah, sort yeah, of. Sorry. We because yeah. in twenty twelve it still had uh, Charlottetown. I think O'Leary was in it, and Annie Ganish had a team because Mike Grant was still yeah, that's right. Yeah. That's right. Because I was so with Charlottetown. You were with yeah. Charlottetown. Twenty twelve. I played for Halifax that year. Yeah. And uh, Donnelly Archibald and I uh, traveled to play with the Toronto Gators, and that was my first experience with right. being away for other than going to California, really, because. I don't think I'd played anywhere else other than California. I think I went to AAU in Florida once with a team from Texas, but other than that, that was my that was my first real experience with good level ball and traveling was twenty twelve. Right? Yeah. Right. So twenty thirteen, that's when that's when the Mastodons came back, wasn't it? Thirteen, yes. Twenty thirteen was the national first nationals for the Mastodons. In, they did play in twenty twelve, but it was that, just that was that, that was in Stratford. Wasn't it? Mm. Yeah, that strap for the man. Team. I hated that nationals. I hated it too. It was very weird. Yeah, like, I hated uh, the setup. Yeah, it wasn't. That was a a bad time for senior in Canada because it was. That I, was oh, I hated my sixteen point one two ERA at that time. <laughs> well, I mean the fact that you remember it. I mean you had some fond <laughs> memories, but uh, there was there was a probably like a four or five year spell from I don't know. My first seniors was in twenty ten. And they still had like the River Shark Twins, and of course Newfoundland had some really good teams, and and there was some good teams scattered across the the country. But from 2010 to 2015, probably there was some years there that Softball Canada had a hard time drawing good teams, and and not I shouldn't say good teams because there was good teams, but the there was no emphasis from all the 40 man guys to be there, right. which. Right. When you take the best forty players and put them at that tournament, it's going to make everybody stronger. And and I know Stratford, the caliber of ball wasn't great, and the facilities and and the, where you were staying and that stuff wasn't great. It just wasn't a wasn't a terrific experience, that's for sure. I, I was glad when Softball Canada made a a big time push to get everybody there from the Team Canada pool and and made it more important because now it's 
it's really strong. Like, it's tough. Yeah. Uh, really tough tournament. Well, that was the first Nationals I've ever been to that didn't actually have a beer tent. Remember, you had to go up to the oh, canteen. Right. Yeah. And, you can, yeah. and with no beer tent there, yeah. it kind of takes away from the whole Nationals experience. Cause Not to you, say they didn't try and, you know, they did the best they could, but I think yeah. with the facilities they had, it just wasn't the greatest no, the, the crowd, situation. The crowds weren't great. The no, it was all around, great. yeah. I mean, mean, as far as hosting a weekend tournament in the summer, because I've been there the same place for a weekend tournament and stuff, you can pull that off. But a a national championship, you want to get teams to remember a positive experience, win or lose. You want teams to want to go back, and that's a place that I probably wouldn't circle on my list of of ball fields that I'd I'd love to go back to. Home of Justin Bieber. (laughs) <laughs> well, little, you little, little side note <laughs> so 2014 the following year looking for sponsorship justin bieber thank you <laughs> so the following year uh that was in charlottetown that was i joined you guys that year yeah and that was my last nationals that was uh i think that's where i think you got put on the map for team canada wasn't it uh i guess you could say that i mean we had a we had a a good a good run like i think every import that we had as far as hitters had a great week. Uh, Langer. Yeah. Langer, Joel and Benny. Langford, uh, Benny Weidman, uh, both hit really good. Uh, and then guys like Duff and and uh, Tyler Wynott and Joel Eisner and Donnelly Archibald and Jason Sanford and whoever else. We just we hit the ball yeah, and did, yeah. uh, it made us competitive. And I remember having some really great games uh, that you know you came out on the right side of a one run game, whatever. And we ended up getting on a roll, and I think that was a fourth place finish, which. Compared to you know, one nothing loss yeah, mm. to Newfoundland, yeah. So 2016, that was the that was the year that you guys pulled it off. And yes, with the that Gators. was we we beat Hill United on on Friday night, and we beat them on Saturday, after they had just won three ISCs and three SAs, three oh. ASAs in three years. So they they had swept the field for three years consecutively, and then we beat them, beat them in the winners bracket final, and they won. The next day to get to the finals, and we beat them again, and both of them were on walk-off home runs. So wow. that was that was huge. Wicked. There was some memories there for sure. So how was the celebration? Celebration was <laughs> foggy. <laughs> uh, really, really good. I am a morning person. Like when it comes to getting up for flights, when it comes to traveling, when it comes to that stuff, I am never. There's never an issue yeah. when it comes to being at the airport for three or whatever. Mm-hmm. Like my alarm goes off, my feet hit the floor. Mm-hmm. I I roomed with Brandon Horn who is not a morning person, he is like, I'm going to sleep until two and a half minutes before we have to leave, take a two-minute and 15-second shower, and I'll be in the car in the other 15 seconds. Well, Ryan Bolin and Sean Cleary were my drive to Chicago, which was three hours away, and we had a morning flight. I don't know what time I was supposed to be up, but I remember going to bed at a ridiculous hour, and... Ryan or Sean or, or both of them or whatever said, that car is leaving at this time. You better be in it. I was thinking, yeah, that's no problem. I'll be there. And the next thing I remember was Ryan straddling me on the bed with his hands <laughs> on my shoulders, shaking me to wake up, like, get to the car right now. We're leaving. And the next time I woke up was when my cell phone was ringing, and it was, we're leaving right now. If you don't come out of that door in the next two minutes, then you're going to find your own way to Chicago because we are not missing that flight. <laughs> oh, shit. So, yeah, the celebration was, was really good. That was, that was fun. That was one I will definitely not forget. I mean, there was guys that that was their last ISCs. Yeah. Uh, Thomas Macchia, Brad Rona, uh, ISC Hall of Famers. Uh, guys like that to share it with and then of course with with Ryan and and Shane Bowen and John Cleary and 
and the guys that that we had worked together so hard all year long and, mm -hmm. and really it was kind of an odd situation because I played for the Gators in 12, played for the Gators in 14, played for the Gators in 16. So I'd been a part of that organization yeah. for a while right. even though it, I had... Skipped a couple of years. Yeah, well, I mean, they made some executive decisions, sent me down the road, and then they called me back and, and they folded one year and uh, there was... It was it was a, a long term thing. Like it wasn't like I was just there for a few weeks, and uh, and to share that experience with even guys like Adam Sargon and Blair Setford that were kind of the guys that started that team and right. they started it in 2011, and then in in 2012 played with them and then 14 played with them again because Blair was the head coach up until 14, and Sarge was the man behind the scenes that dealt with with everything. Like if there was something that needed to be dealt with, he did it. Some of the guys that are names that you wouldn't really think about the guys to give credit to like there was a lot of people that put the work into that so that was sure. anybody that's won at that level has a i'm sure a feel-good story or a celebration story or whatever but for me i was 26 coming into the middle of my prime of my career and and to be able to experience that and to be a part of that winner's bracket final game the way that i was yeah and then in the finals to to have everything unravel the way that it did. We gave up. We had a 3 nothing lead, gave up back-to-back-to-back -to -back -to -back solo shots. Uh, I shouldn't say back-to-back, -back, but, like, yeah, yeah. in a matter of right. a very short time, it went from we got a 3 nothing lead with Sean Cleary pitching, and he's the best in the world right now. Uh, this is going to happen. We're going to win to all of a sudden, holy shit, how did that just happen? Yeah. This is why these guys have won three in a row, and a seed of dope was sewn in. And then Shane, who had struggled all week long, he he – wasn't on he wasn't his normal self and he come up and when that first pitch was thrown to him with a couple guys on when when that crack of the bat hit you just knew it yeah it was that yeah, was epic there wasn't a better way to win it than than have that happen yeah. and that was that was a special experience that's that's i've actually sure. watched that a few times on YouTube. yeah i bet you shane's probably watched it uh He's probably watching it right now yeah he might be maybe <laughs> two or three thousand million quadrillion times yeah something like that but no that was that was really special that was that was uh a fun group to be a part of. And I mean, also, I mean, I got to see the other side of it when I played with Hill United, but to, to beat Hill United, yeah, which was yeah. dethroning the champs, exactly, uh, was phenomenal because they, they're the, they're the New York Yankees of fast pitch softball. Like they are, their organization is, is something really special. And, and to be able to beat them with the names that they have, I mean, you could list a half dozen of those guys that are going in the hall of fame. Yeah, for sure. Easily. Yeah. Maybe more. And, uh, to beat them guys and it to be Jack Fireman's final year sponsoring teams. And I mean, Jack is, is one of the all time great sponsors. There's guys that are from my age or a little younger to guys that are retired or guys that are in their sixties or whatever that could tell stories about Jack. Jack has been a part of this game for a long, long yeah. time. And he was, uh, he was, it was fun to play for him. And, and then to get to play for Terry Bader, one of the greatest coaches that our country's ever produce, produced. Um, I, I'm going to probably insult him by saying this because I don't know how many Hall of Fames he's in altogether, but I know he's in the Softball Canada Hall of Fame. Yeah. He's in the ISC Hall of Fame. He's in the ISF Hall of Fame. And I know he's probably... Welcome back, Cotter, Hall yeah, of Fame. <laughs> yeah, he's probably in a lot more Hall of Fames than that. But, I mean, to play for him and to see his knowledge and, and to pick his brain... Like I still have conversations sometimes with Terry and and That's nice. and Terry is a, a very intelligent man and and he has a plan and he always had a plan and and to be a part of that was was my first taste of success of any 
Junior Nationals are phenomenal. Don't take anything from it. But, I mean, in comparison to the ISC World Tournament yeah, or the senior the men's, the yeah, like, juniors was a great accomplishment, and I wouldn't take anything from anybody that ever said they wanted Junior Nationals. But to step into the ISCs or to step into senior and to win something there is is not really comparable. I mean, it's it's unbelievable hard tournament to win, the ISCs. Like, there are some yeah. sponsorship and some groups out there that have put work in for a lot of years. Yeah. The New York Gremlins have won two back-to-back ISCs, and they, that group had been a part of the ISCs for a long, long time before they got the taste of success. They had some ASA success. They yeah. won a lot of club team tournaments. And then finally they put it together right. And when you see that happen, you appreciate the amount of work that went in, was involved with that. Like, you know, for myself, I had experience with the Gremlins and playing with them guys and dealing with Greg Leather or, or Varm or, or guys like that. And I know the the commitment level that those guys had to the game. And, and for them to win is, is good for them guys because they put a ton of time into this game. And that was kind of where it was at with the Gators was Jack hadn't won an ISC since 1995, 93 and 95, I think they won. Right. And here we are in 2016 and we're winning another one. And his master wow. team that used to win them in the 90s yeah. was winning it the same day. Like yeah. it was, wow. that was a pretty cool experience. Like Jack was, I think Jack was in mid, he was in his mid seventies in 16 and still doing what he was doing. And, and loving it. Yeah. And oh, oh yeah, he <laughs> yeah. was loving it. Yeah. He had a lot of good stories that man. He was a, a really great guy and a great sponsor for sure. How heavy is that trophy? It's not as heavy as you think. It's not, man, but it's it, it, a big trophy. It is a big trophy. <laughs> it, it, uh, I can honestly say that I spent a lot of time with that trophy that night. Uh, there's several pictures of me with my arms wrapped around that thing and a chair by itself. It had its own chair. Don't sit where that ISC trophy's sitting. Uh, I had a couple times to get to to have it and was lucky enough to be a part of two championship teams. And it's not as heavy as you think, but by the time you get done carrying it for four or five hours, and yeah, it's very uh, heavy. It gets a little heavy, but it's it, it's it's a it's a beautiful trophy. I know that. Right on. So after that after that win, yeah. that was the you guys had uh, nationals in Newfoundland, wasn't it? You in guys, 16, in 16, yes. yes. Silver. Yeah. That no, still, no, no that we was got bronze. Sil- that was silver bronze. in Quebec right. the year before. Silver in Quebec, yeah. Right. So. That was a Newfoundland. The Newfoundland, Newfoundland that Newfoundland one, yeah, that was. Uh, do you guys, do you guys think you should have fared better there? Or, uh, I mean, bronze is good, but we we again same story as 2014. We ran into the second Newfoundland team yeah. in the semifinal to get to the final, and as good as Robbie Green pitched in 2014 to shut us down, one nothing. Did the same. Colin Walsh probably pitched as good or better. That's right. Uh, uh, Colin Walsh was he's a year younger than me. Um, and he was that was kind of his coming out party that year. Like he had a phenomenal season, ISC wise and, and club team wise. And then when we got to, to nationals, I was surprised to see Colin with that second team, to be honest. I thought the number one team would have mm. would have wanted him. And maybe they did, I don't know. But I know all week long Colin was pitching and I just remember thinking, like, man, he didn't pitch that much this year, but he's looking good. Like yeah. and of course with the bat, everybody knew yeah. what he w- was with the bat he's a great he's hitter. hitter but he pitched and pitched well and then when we faced him that morning i think he struck shales out twice uh which is not an easy normal. task to do on a normal week but no. let alone at canadians because he had a couple canadians in a row where he just didn't get out um and like our best hitters came up with situations where we could have scored runs and it, and he just shot him down mm-hmm. and t- plain and simply we got beat by by the better pitcher on that day 
And uh, so, yeah, you're disappointed you didn't make the finals. You didn't get a crack at, uh, I think they were Galway at that time because we had a 3 nothing lead on Galway the night before. That's right. Before we had some controversy that cost us possibly big time in that one. And, right. uh, um little pin fest going pin on. Pin fest, yeah. Yeah. And, and, I remember hearing this. Yeah, well, I mean, to me, that wasn't handled properly. And, and, and maybe it would have had no effect on it. Who knows? But, I mean, you got to play the game. Yeah. And uh, they drilled two of our guys in one inning, and then they issued warnings. And I'm pretty sure that Jonah Wright probably wasn't drilled on purpose because Jonah was batting right around 100 for the week and got hit with a, just a rise ball that just clipped them. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and the umpire issued warnings uh, to both sides. And then... We hit uh, Blair Ezekiel with a uh, 62-mile-an-hour little spinner on the inside, and, and he kind of laughed it off, and, and our other pitcher was gone. And, and then when I came in, it, the, the, it just didn't work out. And uh, so that was frustrating that it could have been, should have been, would have been, but, I mean, that's why you play the game. And, and then the next day when we had a chance to get back to that same team and play them in front of the big crowd and, and that – Colin just beat us, yeah. plain and simple. Colin pitched the, he pitched the shit out of the ball in that game. He pitched really well, and and uh, I think they scored their run off a sack fly to their nine hitter. Uh, I don't remember 100%, Eddie Eddie Hef, I think it was Eddie Hefferman. That's right. Uh, yeah. They got a sack fly to left field uh, to score the only run of the game, and really nobody had a chance. Nobody had many chances after mm-hmm. that anyway. So it was just one of them things where it was tough. But I mean, you still go to a national championship and you get a bronze medal and. That may not be the best outcome that you could possibly get, but you still represented your province and got a got a medal out of it and, and did all right. So 2017 in Saskatoon. Yeah. That's, I'll just let you guys go. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, that was this the, fir- the first year that we had Shales was 2016. Yeah. And we had Shales and Kyle Crawford as our two imports. And to start the year in 17, I remember – Shales approached us with this, and this is a good joke now, but Shales told us that as far as this import pitcher goes, for what we used, I mean, no disrespect to Craw, like Craw did a fine job yeah. for what we used him. We just didn't use him a lot. We didn't use him a ton of innings. Right. He said, for what you guys use your import pitcher for, he said, I can do. And I remember thinking, like, when do you pitch, Shales? I haven't, <laughs> I, I've been at the ISC since 2012 here. I've never seen you throw a ball underhand. Yeah. Anyway, he says, you know, with a little bit of work put into it, he said, I, I can pitch to be an, an, an adequate number two guy at a nationals. And he said, plus you got Donnelly and, and you got whoever else. He said, why don't we use our other import pi- uh, hitter spot on, on Ellsworth? And Ellsworth had been a part of our team before, and he took a year away from the game to coach. And, and we went from Ellsworth to Shales, and all of a sudden it was like, all right, well, if we have Ellsworth and Shales, and Duff hits the way he's capable, and Donnelly hits the way he's capable, and Joel hits the way he's capable, and, and the list goes on. And I never even said Sandy, but, like, mm. you know, like, all of a sudden, our lineup is not Newfoundland's, but it's it's right there. Right. Like, it's not that far away. And we went there, and Shales just hit out of this world. Elsie hadn't played that much That's that right. year. And I remember them guys coming to Chris and talking to him and like, what are we going to do with the lineup? Cause Elsie doesn't have that many at bats. And I remember thinking like, Elsie's going to hit lead off yeah. and yeah. get <laughs> as many at bats as he can possibly get. Because if next Saturday and Sunday, he hits the way Jeff Ellsworth is capable of hitting, yeah, we yeah. got a chance to win this thing. Yeah. yeah. And Doff had a phenomenal week, uh, all Canadian, Joel Eisner, all Canadian, Donnelly, Don- Don- Donnelly, Archie. Archie, Archie too, like yeah. we just had everybody hit. And, I remember I had a couple games early in the week that weren't the greatest, 
But the boys bailed me out. Mm-hmm. Every time that I'd give up a run or two, the boys would bail me out, and, and we'd get out of it, and all of a sudden you'd bear down and, and you'd win the game. And we were going into the last day of the round robin with an experience that I'd never had before or after. We knew our double life situation based on win or lose mm-hmm. because we had done enough in the first two days of the tournament that I remember Chris pretty much told me we were playing against the, one, uh, the last game of the round robin and don't even bother putting your cleats on. Right. You're you're done. You're not throwing anymore. And getting that little bit of extra rest going into the playoffs was huge, but the bat stayed red hot. And uh, when we went into the playoffs, into the Friday game against Devo and mm-hmm. Saskatchewan, which was the host team, right. big crowd, and Devo was, was throwing like Devo. He just carried his team to the ISC final like he was throwing bullets. And we ended up going out and winning that game, knowing that was putting us into the the double life game. That was Saturday morning, I guess, that game. It was Saturday morning. Yeah, yeah that was Saturday morning, so putting us into the double life game under the lights against the Noofs. Jason Hill had been battling a case of the, the poopsies throughout the whole week from the lovely spot that we stayed at. Uh, breakfast didn't treat him all that well. So Colin had pitched a ton because um, they basically had Jason – Colin and Blair for their pitching and and Jason and Colin were probably going to do the majority of it and I don't know if Jason went to the field for a couple days and uh he wasn't there on the Saturday or he he might have been there but he didn't pitch because Colin Colin pitched that game he was on IV I think that day possibly because he was he was hurting and 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 that gave us a, a definitely an advantage and we knew that like to us like when you look at the other team and one of their best players is unavailable that's that's a huge mental uh lift and things just went right. We were on a roll, and, and the bats the bats worked, and we came out of that game with the win. And I remember after the game was over, we were really high. Like, the mm-hmm. team was the team was pumped. And I don't say a lot after games very often, especially ones that I pitch. I normally go and do my own thing. And I remember so many guys being so pumped up, and I just remember saying, boys, we beat them under the lights. And everybody kind of looked at me and, like, what the hell is he saying? He doesn't – like, I, I don't talk after games all that often. And I said, we beat him under the lights. I said, if we want to prove we're the best here this week, then we got to beat him in daylight. Mm-hmm. I said, so do what you got to do. But I said, uh, this win tonight means nothing if we blow it tomorrow. Yeah. And I, I think it kind of took the wind out of our sails a little bit. Or maybe I shouldn't have said it, but I, I don't know. But it's, It was it, not a bad thing for you to it, say. It felt, it felt like I needed to say it, and, and I did. But I know that there were so many guys that were so high that yeah. were riding that – that roller coaster and i just didn't want us to get high yeah and then the next morning show up and brad lead off with a home run like he does 80 percent of the time when i face him and all of a sudden everybody go down that roller coaster i wanted to try to keep it even keel and can i add something to this uh so saturday going into playoffs of course massive day for us mm-hmm. well friday night in our hotel where we were staying at the ramada in saskatoon maybe i shouldn't have mentioned that name but it was a <laughs> shithole anyway <laughs> Justin uh, and his wife, Montana, and Gordon were staying in the room, and the room got broken into that night. That was Friday night. This is the Friday night before we go into our, our double life game Saturday morning against oh, wow. the host. Wow. So we get a phone call or a text. I don't remember how it works, but I was staying with Darcy. He was our manager. God love him. Justin sent a text, sent something's up. So we're like, holy fuck, what's going on? I thought maybe Jason Hill maybe gave him the friggin' flu or the shits or whatever he had, <laughs> but he got broken into. So, of course, we had to wake everybody up because we had to figure out how the hell are we going to get out of this hotel. Yeah. And we managed to uh, 
God love Darcy again. We managed to get another hotel, which was the Best Western, I believe. Yeah. Which was on the other side of the town, which is not far from the ball field. Beautiful place. We got in there. But the whole time I'm thinking, holy shit, how are we going to fight through this adversity? Because uh, Scope's rattled right now. So yeah. They broke into his room. He had his kid in his room, his wife in his room. Uh, you know, are we going to get through this? So I was very nervous going into Saturday, of course, because yeah. as a coach, and not only a coach, but you, you, you treat yourself as kind of like the dad of the team. If you right. think, you know, you got to take care of everybody. Anyway, we got to the ball field, and I'll never forget it. Hats off to Scove, but he went out and pitched his nuts off. And mm-hmm. it was kind of like a build-up like a, a build up for our team, too, because we're working on maybe four or five hours sleep yeah. because everything just got all messed up. Yep. We went to the ball field, and we really proved that even with that little bit of adversity, we fought through that. Like It, it was kind of like things happen for a reason, if you yeah. know what I mean. That's awesome. Uh, yeah, I mean, it was horrible. Yeah. I would hate it. Yeah. never happened to anybody else but yeah. we did go and we we fought through it and uh yeah you you, know, you could see that with the team too on saturday morning like everybody was everybody knew pitching wise that it was it was my time to pitch mm-hmm. uh give give us the ball back when you're done and uh everybody was looking i could see i could feel it yeah that they were looking at me differently like my kid was six months old laying yeah. on laying on the bed with his mother and i was laying on the other bed and the person that broke into our room was less than six feet when he went through my wife's wallet and, t- and stole her money less than six feet from my kid laying there so like emotionally i was in a different world yeah, uh, no but dope. but I, I could see i could see everybody was looking at me to see how i was going to respond and i mean softball is not anywhere near as important as what could have happened that night if something could have went worse but it didn't and i knew we were here. The this is where we're at now, and as hard as it was, and as painful as it was, it might have been the best thing uh, to happen is that we played that morning game, because if we would have been sitting around the hotel all day or doing yeah, whatever, like terrible. it would have just made it worse. But we literally, like, I woke up at something after six, realized what it was. We were switched hotels by eight. Uh, we were checked in. We had to be back at the field by eleven. Yeah. So like, it was literally like. In, out, in, out, and, and there was no time to really right. process what was going yeah. on. Like, my wife was really rattled and shaken up. Um, when we got to the field, I could see everybody looking at me and, and seeing, like, what's he going to do? How's he going to react? And that was kind of one of those moments where if I would have went out and thrown like shit for the first couple batters of the game, and it could have been a totally different outcome. We could have been done. But I ended up going out and getting on a roll, and I, I guess it kind of cleared my mind from that. Yeah. And – the day was just a blur. I honestly, I, I don't remember a lot about the night game because so much happened between. Oh, it's, it's a blur, man, for sure. The, the, so much happened in that amount of time for that day on Saturday. And then, like I said, I got back. I was, I remember Saturday night just saying to the boys, like, we can't get too high. Like, yeah. this is mm-hmm. this is where we're at with it. And then when we went into Sunday morning, we showed up to the field as Newfoundland was scoring double digits. Five runs. Yeah. All right. They won twenty two to one, didn't they? Something. Holy like that. shit! They were so angry. Like I was like, oh, we're <laughs> fucked. Yeah, I was just like, man, this is this is maybe not the best thing because we just woke them up. Yeah. Yeah, I think and they were playing the Bullier Rustlers. They yeah. got hats off to them though. Which I think because didn't they have to play Souk first? They Bullier. Yeah, they they went through the the backside. Yeah. And they beat everybody. Yeah, yeah. and and I remember Brad. I thought somebody said Brad had like seven RBIs or something in the first game to get to Bouye. He had two home runs in the first inning. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And Not then when shabby. they and then when they got to to play that game, I remember sitting there and of course your team is ready to take over the dugout and and it's just like okay, so they've scored fifteen runs, oh, 16 runs, seventeen <laughs> runs. It's like, well, I hope that they used them all up because this could be bad. And I remember one thing about that too is. 
So when the game ended, Newfoundland had just pounded them, and, and hats off to the wrestlers team. I mean, they came a long way to get a bronze medal, which was mm-hmm. fantastic for them. We were super proud of that. But I remember the coach coming to me and saying, we'll, we'll just keep this dugout. You guys will go on the first base side. I said, no, we're, we're the top seed. We're taking this dugout. Yeah. I thought I was cocky as all get out. I was scared shitless that some of the news were going to come after me. <laughs> I wasn't trying to – I was just trying to rattle their – you yeah. know, get in their kitchen a little yeah. bit. And, and of, I don't know if it worked or not, but – Of course, we <laughs> talked – everybody always talks about picking and, and stuff like that involved with the game and third base dugouts, first, first base dugout yeah. with righty versus lefty. And I remember this conversation with Chris, and I remember just saying, like – if they want to stay in the third base dugout, tell them they have to go to first base dugout. <laughs> because whatever they want, we're going to tell them the opposite. Yep. <laughs> and whether or not that was a good idea or a bad idea, I have no idea. But it, it worked, obviously. Yeah. It, it might not <laughs> yeah. have anything to Maybe do with it. Maybe it had nothing to do with Maybe it. Maybe it had absolutely nothing to do with it. But I just remember, because we kind of had that conversation, like, are we going to take this dugout or are we going to take that yeah. dugout? And it was, whatever they want, we're doing the opposite because we, <laughs> we, we are allowed to take that dugout. Damn so. straight. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> so, yeah, and then as far as the finals go – with that one, uh, <laughs> we we scored, they scored, we scored, they scored. And uh, I remember just having a moment in the dugout where I was thinking, like, we need to shut them down. Like, if we can't – if I can't shut them down, then this, this mm-hmm. is – it's over. Like, we can't just continue to give up runs and continue to give up runs. Even though our guys are answering, we're facing really good pitcher here. Like, it's going to stop. Mm-hmm. And we went out and we, we did have a hold eventually – and uh, we ended up getting a two-run lead going into the seventh. And, of course, Bradley leading off, Shane coming up, uh, Blair – or Steven after him and, and Blair coming up. And, like, every one of those guys I just named it hit mm. multiple home runs off me in their career. I think Brad and Steven's batting average off me is about 666 because it seems like every time I faced them they were crushing a ball somewhere. And uh, I, I remember when I got – when Bradley hit the home run in the seventh – and Shane was coming up. I just remember, like, I cannot allow this no. at bat to have Stephen Mullally coming up with a chance to win the game. Mm-hmm. Like, I just cannot allow that to happen. So then I induced a 102-mile-an-hour line drive from Shane <laughs> that Nick Shales caught on a full-out Superman catch, one of the nicest catches i ever seen. Yeah. I, I was watching it. I, yeah. and then, I jumped. <laughs> yeah, like it, it, was, it was one of those plays that, Shalesy is one of the best in the world, and he he may never make that catch again. Like mm-hmm. it was absolutely phenomenal, and Steven struck out, which was a miracle because I had not struck him out a whole lot in his career. And then Blair came up and grounded out, and that was the end of it. And and it was there's a lot of at bats in there and a lot of stories in there in between that I don't really have a whole lot of recollection of because it was kind of just a blur. It right. was kind of uh, it was kind of one of those things that uh, you wish I do. <sighs> drives me nuts that there's no recording or stream of that game because i'd love to be able to go back and as much as it'd be fun to sit down and drink a dozen beer and watch that again i'd love to remember it because a lot of that stuff yeah you have the score sheet or or whoever has it and we could go back and we could see it but there's a lot of moments in that game that i just it was a blur and and it was a huge moment for my career my individually it was a huge moment for the mastodons as an organization and then the sport in nova scotia like There's a ton of young guys coming up now that know that the East Hands Mastodons are one of, what is there, three teams in the whole decade that won a national championship? Mm-hmm. Decade whole of fast pitch. No, well, that's what I mean. Like, Newfoundland won, what, seven of them? Oh, yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. Yes, we yes, won yes, one and Kitchener yeah, yeah. won two. So, I mean, there's yeah. – there's, I think that's right. There's yeah. three teams in the entire decade that I just play, we just yeah. talked about yeah. that have won a national championship, and we're one of them. Yeah, that's right. So, <laughs> to me, it's something to be really proud of. Uh, individually speaking – 
yeah, it was great to be able to throw all those innings and do what I did. But again, it comes back to the fact that we scored six runs in the final. Yeah, that's right. If you don't score those six runs, I mean, I gave up five. Mm-hmm. People forget about that one. I gave up five. Uh, if we only score a couple, then we still lose. Yeah. Uh, the boys hit, and there was a lot of work put into it, and a lot of credit should be given to the fact that you look at our team batting average for that week, and it was high. It yeah. was it was probably the second highest of anybody in the tournament next to the Noofs, and, and we just happened to – we didn't even out hit them in the finals. They had more hits than us. We did, yeah. We just out opportunity had more opportunities. We played than some. Them. We had some key defensive plays too, like you yep. said, like Shalesy and Harv. Yeah, Harv made some phenomenal plays. plays, and I mean the boys were behind me every step of the way. And you could play that game. You might play that game another dozen times, and we might not win it again. Yeah. But we did on that day, and and uh, I mean credit a lot of credit to that organization with Newfoundland because oh they're amazing. Yeah, mm-hmm. look what they've accomplished and what they've been able to do for their province has been amazing. And not to mention just their humbleness and yeah, the fact like, that they're all good guys. You can just talk to them. Yeah. Like, yeah now, like when we're on the field family. and, yeah, and when we're on you. the field, they hate you and I hate them. And that's it. We're between yeah. the lines. You do what you got to do uh, after the field, after the game is over. Yeah, they're good. Like I learned from that win uh, a lot about Jason Hill and Brad Ezekiel that I, I never would be able to be man enough to do this. When we won, they came to the beer tent. They came over, they were leaning against the shack by the beer tent, and I remember looking over, and they're my teammates from Hill United, and I remember looking over and saying, what the, what the hell are they doing here? Like, mm-hmm. And I, I walked over, and I was trying so hard not to smile the whole walk over because that makes yeah. you an asshole, but like, I, I'm, I'm walking over, and, and congratulations, congratulations. And I, I remember having a, like a minute chat with both of them, and I said to them, I said, what are you doing here? How can you be out here watching this? And I remember Jason said it because he's more outspoken than Brad, but I remember Jason said, this is good for the game. He right. said, having a team win this many in a row, you, somebody else needs to win one. Mm-hmm. He said, we're going to be back next year and we're going to beat you. But, <laughs> uh, but this is good for the game. And to me, that was a, a kind of a learning experience that those guys had so much experience with winning, but they also knew how to deal with losing. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. that's tough. To dealing with losing is, is way harder than this, the, how easy it is to deal with winning. Yeah, for sure. Man. And uh, – seeing that from those guys was that was a learning experience because they handled it really really well and, and they came out and i mean maybe if they'd only ever lost their whole career and never had any wins and were that close and it would be a little bit harder and i'm sure it would be but they came out there and congratulated us told us they were happy for us they'd seen what we'd been through they knew right. they were on the other side of it a lot of the time yeah, yeah. and uh that was that was really 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 special all right so 2018 you guys hosted Okay, let's move on to 2019. Uh, yeah, that was uh, that was uh, I got to watch it. So from your guys' point of view, that's uh, painful. Painful, yeah. Yeah, yeah. You talked about getting the hitting. You didn't get the hitting in that tournament. Yeah, that's one thing of it. But I think myself speaking, I definitely had one of my my weaker nationals. Maybe not statistically speaking, but as far as just the whole experience of it. I mean, that should have been one of the highlights of my career. That was literally 15 minutes from where I lived. That was the field I grew up playing. That was the field that introduced me to softball. Right. Uh, 1998, uh, my dad took me down to watch the first senior men's that that was there. I think that was the first senior men's that was there. I was eight years old. And I can remember sitting behind the backstop, and my dad still drops his line every once in a while. I remember asking my dad, like, in all seriousness, like, you know, you're a kid there, you're sitting in awe. And I remember watching, and I'm pretty sure, I'm not 100% on this, but I'm pretty sure we were watching Musy throw. With and, the Jags. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I'm pretty sure. I remember looking at my dad, or I know I know I said this, but I remember looking at my dad and I said, uh, Dad, how does the catcher catch that ball? 
<laughs> and like that was one of those moments when I was a kid, like very, yeah. very uneducated when it comes to the game. And and I just remember looking at him, and I was I, that's that's the line I said, like, how's the catcher catch that ball? And Dad said, I don't know, because I wouldn't catch it. But like, <laughs> I mean, we were we were watching one of the best in the world and and best in the country, and and that was kind of like, uh, wow, this would be pretty cool to play someday. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then, I mean, Musi grew up. Uh, half hour from the St. Croix ball field on the opposite side of me. And, yep. and uh, here we are, you know, that was 98. Now we're talking in 2018. So we're talking two decades later that I'm in that opportunity, not comparing myself to Gerald Musler, but I'm in an opportunity to play in, in uh, my backyard and, yep. and be the ace on a team from my province. And, and defending uh, champ. Well, defending champs too, to throw it all on top of it. And it just went pretty well the opposite of how I had it planned. Yeah. Whatever you would have envisioned in your head for a week of how it was going to go, it was just a absolute nightmare. Yeah. There was no there was not one positive experience from that. Uh I was mentally out of it right from the first game when everything started happening with the illegal pitches and the bullshit that was involved with that. And then we didn't hit, which was that adds a lot of anxiety and stress yeah. onto a to a, a pitcher who's you know you're competing for a spot to play on the the men's national team, and you've been told that the men's national team is going to be named after this tournament. Uh, I really thought that if I went and just had a, a decent tournament, that I would was, was going to be on that roster, and and I felt comfortable with that, and I went I went in to that week with a very high expectation of how it was going to go, and by the time that week was over, I was pretty much as let down by that experience as I possibly could be. I had pitched myself off the national team. Uh, the experience that week with the officiating for the entire tournament was, was terrible. Um, the uh, the Mastodons not hitting and our, our inability to make it to the final day in front of my home province, I mean, not that this matters to me because it doesn't affect my day-to-day, but, I mean, there was a lot of sponsorship and a lot of money that was involved with that team that depended on us making it to the final day uh-huh. to, for, for revenue. We were unable to do that. Uh, basically, overall, for a week that should have been something I'll remember for the rest of my career for positive reasons, that was a, that was a shit week. Yeah. That, was, that was brutal. And uh, that was one of the ones that I, look, I will look back on for the rest of my career. The same as I look back on 2017, I'll look back on as a, as a positive that you can, you can hang your hat on that. Like with what happened in 2017 with the, the year that I had uh, for the different teams that I played for was a, all positive. Yeah. And then 2018 came, uh, Hilly Knight was upset. At the ISCs, we go to Canadians and we're the defending champs, and we batted a, I think it was a buck sixty-five or something for the week. And with everything that happened with the illegal pitches and the and the rules being enforced the way that they were, it was just a, it was a negative. Yeah. It was a black eye on uh, a season for me, and and uh, learned from it in some aspects, uh, humbled by it in some aspects, uh, that's for sure. But um, it was a tough one. There was no, there's no sugarcoating. There's nothing I can mm-hmm. say about it to make that any better. It was, it was shit. Yeah. It was, it was not good. Gave me the, uh, the name for the podcast because of that nationals. That's right. That's well, I'm, gl- I'm glad I could supply for something. <laughs> Hopefully, this podcast has success and that name can be uh, remembered for positive reasons and not for the <laughs> yeah. 2018 nationals. Yeah. So, so after, so last year, you guys, where was it last year? Grand Prairie. Yes. Grand Prairie, and how many teams were in it? 
Ten. Ten teams. Yeah. yeah. You guys ran into a little uh, food poisoning? We ran we into, <laughs> we ran into something. <laughs> and I not would good. not wish it upon anybody what we ran into. <laughs> we were in trouble. Um, our import hitter was supposed to be Jeff Ellsworth. He blew a groin. Uh, yeah. Had something go on at the ISCs. He was unable to go with us. I think I contacted everybody in Canada uh, to see if I could find us a, another hitter. It didn't work out. Um, and we got there. We were up against it as it was. We played our first game uh, against uh, – was it our first game against Souk or yeah, – I don't remember. Let's go. Anyway, I, I know warming up here. for – no, our second game was against Souk because warming up for our second game – uh, One of our outfielders, uh, Connor Hilton, was running for a fly ball and just – peeled off and barfed in the outfield and we were just like this is weird like what the hell's wrong with him mm-hmm. and that was kind of the start of it and i think we had like 21 or 22 guys on that trip counting the coaches and the managers and everybody else and i think 17 or 18 of them were hit with uh out of this world virus that like it would knock you down you were throwing up you were shitting you were doing whatever and you were two days before you were getting over it and I was really fortunate in the fact that I got it at five in the morning on the day we were traveling home. And fortunately, yeah, <laughs> yeah, it was the absolute worst travel experience of my life. I remember getting to the airport and thinking, like, I cannot get on this plane because I couldn't leave the bathroom. And then I got on the plane, and the guy beside me was Tyler Williams, which was sound asleep. And I remember, like, just elbowing him and smashing him, trying to let me get up. And he just pat- he did not get up. And I barfed everywhere. So all over the airplane, uh, myself, everything else at the beginning of a two-hour flight. This and was before we took off. This was before we took off. We got to the next airport. I threw all the clothes out that I was wearing, got changed, got on the next airplane, made it to the bathroom to puke on that one. They weren't going to take the plane off unless I got off of it. Had to convince the person to let me stay on the flight. And by the time I got home, I was done. I missed the next two days' work. I was probably three or four days before I felt 100%. But I got that at the end of the week. Right. Uh, I'm pretty sure Brady and Brady Woods and Sean Croft were probably the only two players we had, and maybe Jeff Bishop. Bish didn't get it either. That's right. Those are probably the only three players we had that didn't get it. No. Wow. We didn't play. We didn't play well, anyway. But when you're trying to like Chris did a hell of a job to juggle the lineup because literally it was like. A moment before the game was going to start, and we'd have to check the bench to see who was in there. Right, yeah, because yeah, who shit their pants? Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, like there was a porta potty behind the dugout, and it was literally like, all right, I'm counting numbers here. Who's in the porta potty, and is it only one guy or is it two? Because yeah, this yeah. is not good. And and so, like, we were losing guys. We get to the ball field, and they were like, man, I can't go. And they'd have to get Darcy would have to drive them back to the hotel. Wow. So yeah. then you had to juggle somebody else in the lineup who hasn't played that position maybe or yeah. whatever it was. So yeah, and it, it was that makes it, it tough. Was brutal, dude. Yeah. It was yeah. brutal, and and I mean, coming off of 2018, we were we were looking to have some sort of bounce yeah, we back. Yeah, like, success. We we knew that without any without a import hitter or two import hitters that we were uh, we were going to be stressed offensively to try to do what we did. But we had a great other pitcher import. I mean, it was the first time really that we'd ever yeah. had. Uh, two guys that you could depend on to throw at any time in any situation. And Brady Woods had pitched his ass off all summer long. He'd done a great job. I pitched with him with with Kegel, and it was it, he was excellent. He was he was going to come in and help us, and we were going to be competitive mm-hmm. in every game. And then when we got there, it was just like, oh my god! After what we went through last year, how could this how could this be what is going to make it so that 
Right. Anyway, it was. And, it and was also, terrible. don't mean to interrupt, but the beginning of the tournament. So we have our coaches' meeting, of course, before yeah. your first games played the next day. So we get on the flight that morning at 6 a.m. and I get an email from Softball Nova Scotia with the new illegal bat rule. Here's the new list of illegal bats. We're on the plane. <laughs> So everybody has their bags packed with their bats in their bags. So we get we get to uh, to Grand Prairie finally, and it turns out we have maybe seven bats left out of all of the bats that we own that were illegal now. So all those bats were illegal. We had seven bats left. No opportunity to purchase any bats anywhere. Wow. Nothing. So, but we weren't in. The, and the other teams were in the same boat as us right. as well. But so there's a punch in the face right away. Like. Yeah. How in the hell are we supposed to function with doing this? It wasn't great. And then everybody started shitting their pants. Yeah. <laughs> that, that doesn't help. No. No. It was uh, we've safe to say that uh, this year being canceled is obviously very, very disappointing because we had two years in a row that we pretty much couldn't have them go worse. Mm-hmm. So 2020 was going going to be better. Yeah. There was there was no <laughs> way. Well, you're and going back to Newfoundland. Yeah, so. we're going back to Newfoundland. It's going to be better. And then, no, we're just going to cancel this season. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, yeah, it, it's been a rough couple of years. Like, the Mastodons had some, some great success, had some individuals get an opportunity to go and play away. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, like Aaron Harvey got to go play away. Tyler Wynott was playing. Obviously, Jason Sanford's been playing away longer than any of us have. Archie. Uh, Archie got his opportunity. And, and, Jay Duff and Duff got to play away. Like, we had guys that were getting recognition because of the success the Mastodons were having. And we only got to play one week a year right. that you were away. And, and the guys were getting that recognition. And then to go to St. Croix, all eyes are on you. Mm-hmm. You're the defending champs. There's no more, we're going to start our number two pitcher against you. Yep. Like, the this shit is coming at you. And we failed. There's no question we failed. And then to go to, to uh, Grand Prairie and experience that, like, not all the teams know what we were dealing with. And, it, I mean, people can say we're making an excuse all we want. We literally had guys that were at the field that were, like, pinching it off, running to the porta potty because they were going <laughs> to shit their pants. Like, yeah. uh, it was absolutely brutal. So, last year's Nationals, we finished crap. We finished 14th out of 10 teams. Yeah, something like that. I, I Last year's Nationals is irrelevant. Uh, like, what happened in 2018 is far yeah. worse than what happened in 2019 because we – it would not have mattered if we had Shales and Ellsworth and they both batted a thousand. We weren't winning last year with what right. we were dealing with. It just mm-hmm. wasn't uh, it wasn't going to happen. But that being said, you know what? It's something that we can look back on and it's a learning experience because I cannot imagine that we'd ever have to experience something like that well, again. Fuck. Were we ground zero for coronavirus? Like, <laughs> yeah, really. We, now you think Christ. about it. Wow. Maybe we started. I don't know. <laughs> no, but don't it, was, so. it was it uh, was it was shitty. Literally, <laughs> literally, it was Bingo. shitty. So. Speaking about Brady Woods, yeah. he, he's next up on the podcast. Yeah. Got any stories? Uh, there's lots of good Brady Woods stories. Um, when I – so, of course, Brady was the one who called me and told me how everything was going to be so great to go play with Kegel and that gave me his big uh, – he was going to woo me. He was the woo factor. And, and I did have – I had a great year playing with Kegel and I had no regrets about going and, and uh, it was a good experience. But when I got there – he told me uh, a couple of stories about himself from younger days. And, and Brady had a bit of a reputation at one point in time for being a guy that may have kicked the shit out of a Gatorade cooler or thrown a <laughs> case of water or whatever. He's a bit of a temper, not as mild-mannered as someone like myself. But uh, he, uh, he told me that in 2013, when I played for the Minnesota Angels, that Jeff Larson had called him, contacted him. 
and said that he was the sponsor of the team. Right. He said, I'd love to have you play for my team. I was wondering if you signed for anybody. And he said, uh, no, I haven't signed with anybody. He said, who else do you have? Who's on your team? And he listed off a few hitters. He said, I, I got Justin Schofield signed as a pitcher. Brady said, I don't want to play with that guy. He's a fucking asshole. <laughs> anyway, I said, Brady, I had never met you before. What are you talking about? Like, how did you even know? Like, 2013, I was literally uh, two years out of junior. I'd only ever played uh, for the Gators, and, and I was going into my first year outside of playing for the Gators. Like, how did you think I was an asshole? He goes, I don't know. He said, I just didn't like the way you looked. <laughs> well, I'm so glad I came to play with you with Kegel. Like, thanks a lot, buddy. Like, that's awesome. Oh, my God. Anyway, no, that was that was kind of like the icebreaker for, uh, like, me and Brady get along great playing together last year and, and uh, had a lot of conversations outside of the field and had a lot of, uh, in our opinion, knowledge passed yeah. back and forth from one another and, and that stuff. And, and I like Brady, and, and I think that uh, I think Brady's a really good pitcher. I think Brady is a uh, hard-throwing lefty with a pitch that you don't see very often is that big lefty hook. Mm-hmm. And uh, Brady is probably not got as much credit for how good he is as what he deserves. He is an excellent pitcher. And uh, he's a great teammate, too. He controls his anger a little more <laughs> now than what he did when he was younger. I'd like to say the same thing. But uh, anyway, uh, um, no, he's good. But that was that was kind of like, yeah, so anyway, this is what I thought of you then. But thanks for coming with the team mm-hmm. now. That was kind of that moment with it. So that was a good story. And then the only other thing is uh, when you get Brady on, I want you to ask him what uh, he thinks Jason Hill's batting average is against him for his career. And, <laughs> and you can go from there with him because that, that should be entertainment in itself enough. Oh, so this, this whole hothead thing about Brady too. Scope had warned me when we signed Brady to play with the Mastodons last year. He said – Brady doesn't like to be talked to between innings. He said, okay. He, he or said, before games. Or before games. He said, you're gonna, don't go up and ask him how he's doing. Because I always ask him, yeah. you know, how you feeling, how you doing, yeah. kind of thing. And sometimes he is that asshole, and I understand where mm-hmm. Brady was coming from. But he said, don't talk to Brady. So I was thinking, okay, sure enough. So we were in the Toronto airport? No, where were we? Wherever we landed first, and then Brady met up with us at, up with us at that airport. Yeah. We're all sitting there waiting to connect to Grand Prairie, and Brady walks in. So I never said a fucking word to him because I was worried, do I actually say something to him right now? Like, do I introduce myself, or is he going to be fucking one of those guys, that that guy can't talk to me? Yeah. (laughs) He's a good guy. He's a really good guy. He's funny as hell, actually. Well, he did stay with his parents when we were in Grand Prairie. Oh. (laughs) Good times. (laughs) (laughs) That was, uh, but that was, like, uh, the reason I said that to Chris is because, like, when I played with him with Kegel, like, the coach of Kegel's name was Wayne Petrie, and he's a good guy, and, uh, I like Wayne a lot, but Wayne would come to me basically before every game that Brady was going to pitch, and he'd say, "Are you warm? Are you warm?" <laughs> no, like Brady's fucking staring. Like, what are you talking about? Like, what? What's what do you what do you mean? Am I warm? He goes, "Just ask Brady." And Brady says he's not feeling that great. <laughs> like Brady tells you he's not feeling great before every single game. Like, what? <laughs> like, anyway, finally I asked Brady about it. I was like, "Why do you always tell Wayne that you're not feeling great?" He said, I get nervous before each game. He said, after I throw in in England, it's it's fine. Like right. I, He said, that's just my mentality. Like, I, I have one, like, I have a few minutes where I, I get nauseous. I said, he said, when I was young, I used to throw up, yeah. whatever. He said, I just don't like to be disturbed before a game. Yeah. And anyway, I was thinking, like, Wayne's been around Brady long enough. Like, leave him alone. So that's when, <laughs> when Chris, when we agreed that we were going to sign Brady to go with us as our import pitcher, I, that's what I told him. I was like, listen. When he's warming up to pitch, just don't ask him how he's feeling because he's going to tell you he feels like shit. So, like, just don't ask him. Like, leave him alone. Right on. So, okay, now we'll close up a little bit here. Uh, Do you have any advice for young pitchers out there for coming up to work at the game? Because I know that you, in junior, 
moved in with Ryan and Robin for a week to work on your game. So any advice for the younger guys? Uh, the biggest thing that frustrates the shit out of me when it comes to some of the young guys, local or abroad, whatever, is when I was that age, when I was at the development age, I knew that I wasn't as talented as some of the guys that we were surrounded by. And so my theory on that was I have to outwork them to have a chance. Mm-hmm. I mean, I grew up in a time when you were coming up and Corey Avery and Donnelly Archibald were in the age group above you, which were both very good pitchers of their age group all the way up through. Yep. And Patrick Avery was the other pitcher in my age group, and he was a very good pitcher, and I wasn't as talented as any of those guys. So my theory on it was if I outwork them, then I got a shot. Yep. doesn't necessarily guarantee anything, but if I outwork them, then at least I'm, I got a, I got a shot. And we've seen junior age pitchers and midget age pitchers that have come along in the last few years. And this is in Nova Scotia. This is in in Canada. This is anywhere. And they get to the age when that transition comes that you got to step into the men's game and they fail. Mm -hmm. And if they fail and they quit and they don't work harder, they don't put in the time, they're not going to have the success. And that's, so I guess my biggest thing, if you're asking for what I would give for advice for guys to be able to have success when they make the transition from being, playing against all guys your age to playing against guys that have been there and done that, is you got to work. If you don't put in the work and the dedication, then it's not going to be there. There are very, very few people in this world that are talented enough without putting in the time and the effort to do it. And that's the biggest thing from my aspect of it is, is that, Get in the gym in the winter and throw. Mm -hmm. Try to go away somewhere. Reach out, stretch some contacts, ask people that know. Try to go somewhere and get some experience where you're away throwing. And at the very least, put the work in. Because if you put the work in, you're giving yourself an opportunity. Because there's there's so few pitchers left in our game that if you're out there working and the other guy's not, then you have an advantage over him. So my biggest piece of advice is not throw drop balls throw rise balls throw hard throw soft whatever my biggest piece of advice would be get your ass in the gym and work and throw the ball and find somebody that'll catch you and if you put in the time the success will follow uh talent is a wonderful thing uh where if you're at the age where you're still growing you're still getting stronger and you reach out to the right people to help you with a little bit the way that i did with robin and ryan eisner with what you talked about was Basically, Ryan rebuilt how I pitched, and Robin was the guy who did the catching, and and uh, I was willing to make the sacrifice uh, to do it, and uh, put the work in, and it ended up panning out for somewhat anyway. Uh, but the biggest thing is 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 hard work. Guys that don't work at it are not going to get better. Right. On. I think a big point to that too is the networking aspect of it. Like you said, to reach out to people. Definitely. Like you had Robin and Ryan. They're both good friends of mine. I grew up playing with them. They they are heart and soul of fast pitch in East yep. Hands to me. 100%. Um, but there are lots of guys out there for those young guys like the David Watsons, you know, the the Brody Frazier's, the Alex Anthony's. Those guys are all top pitchers at their age groups. We want to see them continue to pitch because we need pitchers to develop. Obviously. Absolutely. Exactly. The game is going to a ton die. of different guys to reach out to. There's Definitely. no question. Definitely. A bunch and, of catchers or whoever. I'd sit on a bucket and try to catch it, but I don't want to. <laughs> no, and I get that. And, I mean, I don't even mean reach as far as reach out to those guys locally yeah. is, is is great. That get, gives you the ability to work. But we, we're we in a time now where if you have uh, if you have some talent and you're at the age of 18, 19, 20, 21, whatever, if you start throwing some messages out there to people across the country or in different spots around, 
there's lots of places that would love to have a young guy come exactly. and throw and give an opportunity something. to go and get some exposure and do what you got to do. The biggest the biggest thing for guys, especially from a small market, is you have to get seen. That's so right. if you want to make this thing work and you want to be a, a higher-end pitcher, you got to go somewhere where you can get seen and, and you can throw. So yep. uh, for for anybody, like what you just listed was the local guys, but then like guys countrywide from coast to coast for guys that are looking for a spot to go throw – don't be afraid to reach out. We live in a time when you can message anybody in the world with a click of a button. That's well, right. you can go on Al's Fast Pitch website, and they have a list of like right. You can go on there, and somebody's looking for a picture. Well, yeah, they have the the free agent list there or whatever. But I mean, like, if you know somebody that is in that you're interested, and you want to go to New Zealand, or you want to like right. for me it was the states, me it was California. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's still lots of ball all around. Reach out to somebody and yeah. ask them, and and see if there's somewhere for you to go throw. Because unfortunately. The days of being able to develop uh, guys locally is getting harder and harder all the time because we don't have the ball for them to play. Right. So not that we want to completely eliminate the local game, but if we don't give guys the exposure to go and play and they only play locally to promote the local game, then we're, we're shooting ourselves in the foot. That's so right. it, it's, a, it's a double-edged sword, uh, so to speak. And uh, I think... If guys put the work in and are willing to make sacrifices, then we we still have lots of uh, lots of guys left in this game that that can have success and and experience some of the things that that I have and other guys have and and go and have some fun because at the end of the day I do this because I love it I love it and I have fun I know doing you do. it. Mm-hmm. And you know, I've called you many times just to discuss whatever, and you're either on your bike or you're throwing a ball into a, a net on your own this yeah. summer, especially or this yeah. spring. Uh, that shows a lot of what you, you know, you want to succeed yeah. for sure. And I know you want to be on that Team Canada roster, and I think that's, you know, that's the next big step for you too to get back to there. Yeah. Um, and we want to get our sport going again, obviously, and uh, get back on the ball field. Yeah, that this would be really kind of re- – well, yeah, This year actually, is, but, is tough, and I yeah. think that it's going to prove if this year is a wash the way that it's looking like it could be for us locally, then I think that – Next year, when everybody fires back up, is going to be a huge test to what you put in for work the year before. 100%, man. Because if we all have a year that we aren't allowed to play games and we can't face yeah. batters and we can't travel and we can't do that, the guys that put the work in are the guys that are going to have the success. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If you take a year and a half off of this sport or two years off of this sport and just try to jump back in, there's going to be a – Unless you're Brian Gillis. Uh, unless you're right. Brian Gillis in junior <laughs> in 2011. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but, yeah, like you know what I mean? Like there's – it's going to be a very interesting next season. It is. For everybody. Yeah. I'm a little worried about it in the aspect of, you know, they tried to get registration going again for ball now. And yeah. Who can register now? Because there's no absolute yeah. that we're going to even be playing ball at the monitor right. level. Yeah. yeah. So it's scary. I, I hope we certainly don't lose anything. I mean, we and talking about our, our shooters league, I mean, we, we revamped that whole thing over the winter. Yeah. To make a big push is, you know, far as yeah. getting back at the competitive level and everything, and then to have this hit, it's just like, oh, oh punch me come on, yeah. yeah, yeah. It was so. going to be a big year, yeah. So anyway, I mean, we'll have to make it next year. Oh yeah, for sure. for sure. That's yeah. right. And, and I mean, the work that we put in is still there. Yeah, it's oh, just sure. uh, put on. It's just pause. That's all. And I, and I mean, I think you look at other leagues across the country, and in particular the one in St. John's, because I think that's hmm. that's probably the one that everybody should be modeling after with the success that they've had. Uh, they didn't win a national championship for a lot of years after they've had the league that they've had over there, and That's it right. took them a long time to get to where they did. So, I mean, as far as the success goes, one year of 
basically a leaf of absence from the game is not going to be what makes or breaks any local league or any anything no. in particular. It's just it's going to make it a little bit harder to bounce back. That's all. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Absolutely. So. Anyway, Skov, thanks for coming on. Pleasure. Yeah. Welcome aboard, man. This yeah. was great. Thank you very much. So yeah. First Randy, you did a great job. First episode of Outside the Shoot. Yeah. I want to say, too, Randy, hats off to you for getting this going. It's fantastic for our sport, and I, I hope it takes off all over the place. I know yeah. it, I'm pretty sure it will, yeah. but uh, let's stretch it out all over the place. It'll be For sure. Cool. Just like we stretch out the shoot. And That's get right. some goddamn sponsors. That's right. All right. Thanks, guys. All right, man. Take care.